Well, I want to actually talk a bit about Christian discipleship this morning, but I could as easily call it friendship. And I'm, I'm re- relating it to Elijah and Elisha, who I've been looking at. We're not going to have massively long for this, so it's going to be a little bit cut short. And I've given the title, Go and Make Disciples. But as I say, in a way, discipleship and friendship overlap. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 2 and look at verses 1 to 15. I want to read those with you. This is the end of Elijah's life and the beginning of Elisha's ministry. So it's a, a handover time, not inappropriate in this church's context with Dave and Ali moving this morning with uh, Steve and Annette, who are on holiday by the way today, coming and uh, Steve taking the lead role in June and and all these sort of things going on amongst us. So let's read these verses. Verse 1 of 2 Kings 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. You know, God's plans go beyond the part individuals play in the church or in anything. It's quite natural that you and I want to know how we fulfil God's purpose for our life. We want to know what it all means for us. And we tend to think that God's only concerned with us. And that's very natural. We're just individuals and we focus on our relationship with God. But it's important sometimes to stand back and to understand that God sees us as part of a community. The people of God, Old and New Testament, were always 
dealt with in a community aspect. There's a bigger thing going on. It's not all hyper-individualistic like our culture at all. There's a community, there's relationships, there are handovers, there are passing on that are very important to God. And we need to grow into understanding all that that will mean for us. We've got to accept that we play a part in a far bigger plan than we understand. We do, all of us. And that means that what we do with others, how we relate to others, how we hand things over to others, how we disciple other people or receive their input into our lives is very, very important. In the Great Commission, God, uh, Jesus commanded us, go and make disciples. And we're going to think about that a little bit as we look at Elijah and Elisha. Being a Christian is being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That means it has an impact on your whole life. You're not primarily a disciple of another person. We'll see that in a moment when we talk about this. But you are first and foremost a disciple of Jesus. That means your whole life is under his authority, 24-7. He is the Lord of your life. That will impact everything. But we need other people to help us to work that out. So I'm broadly talking about the subject of discipleship today. But it's going to be a little bit curtailed and a little bit adjusted, so bear with me on that. Now, discipleship doesn't just happen on a one-to-one basis. I think sometimes, we, we will get to that, funnily enough, because of Elijah and Elisha, but I think sometimes we, literally we, today, in modern Britain, and even, even here in Winchester, uh, in this sort of church, can have a little bit of a narrow view that discipleship is one person looking after one person, ideally being very interested in all the details of my life, holding me accountable on great detail. Now, that isn't to be despised, but that is by no means, by no means, all that discipleship is. If you look at Jesus, he tended to teach his disciples in groups. He rarely deals with people one-to-one, just occasionally a Peter or someone, often a reproof. So he's dealing either with at least a three or a twelve or even a seventy. There's teaching in groups. And there's a fluidity about it. If you look at the Apostle Paul, there's certain people travelling with him. Some travel sometimes, some another. There are the special relationships, clearly the Timothys and the Tituses. But even there, as I say, it's not one. There's Timothy and Titus and probably others. So what does this mean for us? Well, let's be very realistic. Part of the way you are discipled is by being part of this church, or a church, Grace Church, if you, you know, for David and Ali. Part of it is being part of a local church. That's part of how you're discipled. By hearing the word of God preached, as you do. By taking it seriously, that is part of discipleship. I would say a significant part in the church we have and the way we organise is being part of a small group. We call them community groups, where it really is part of it. It's where you work out relationships with Jesus. You learn to probably adjust to other people, you get a bit of rubbing off of corners, uh, a bit of uh, challenge, you also get lots of support, there's lots of opportunities to one another, we've been hearing about some of it today, helping people like Gary and Debbie and maybe uh, standing with them, maybe providing meals, the families affected by this um, flight uh, ban, you know we need need Christian friends, they've got them to help some of, think of Candice, Nell 
and Amber, just as a start, starting point, uh, Joe down in Southampton, but then here, with quite a lot of children, a little bit confused, quite young children, wondering where Daddy is, getting back to school tomorrow, they need their Christian friends. That's part of being a disciple of Jesus, that we help and support them as we're close to them. And then there's others, uh, Pippa herself with her parents away, the other end of the scale there. And, uh, you know, we need to be aware of each other. That's part of what small group life is. It's only in the small groups these relationships work. It happens where we're serving together. I think serving opportunities are great opportunities for discipleship, for learning from each other, for challenging each other and changing each other. There's many tools that go on in church life. I could list them and I will quickly. Coming along and maybe to the going deeper stuff. It's part of discipleship, hearing the word of God taught. Freedom in Christ material, going through a course there, marriage preparation, marriage courses, the youth work, 18s to 20s, the women and men's ministry. It's all part of discipleship. It really is. It's part of learning to be a follower of Jesus. Different things at different times. Part of it, undoubtedly, part of discipleship, is a more close one-to-one type element to our relationships. Now, a key area for that is often leadership training. That's sort of what's going on with Elijah and Elisha. But, of course, that's not the only context. I want to draw forth lessons in personal discipleship or personal relationships from Elijah and Elisha. We will have one-to-one relationships, but I think there's some very helpful guidelines that we can draw from their relationship about this. And I I wonder if we need to sometimes put a bit of a balance to some of the the, the slightly artificial uh, ideas that can get around in church circles. So here are the four points. I want to look at Elijah and Elisha, four lessons in personal discipleship. First one, God initiated discipleship. God initiates, it says there, discipleship. It's quite clear from the story that Elijah didn't think, look, I'm tired of being a prophet, I must find someone to take over from me. And went out on his own initiative thinking like that. It's also clear that Elisha did not press into Elijah, rush up to him and urge him, please disciple me, Elijah. Neither of those things happen in the story. God initiates. God spoke to Elijah first, spoke directly to him, and then Elijah went and contacted and initiated with Elisha. You've seen the same pattern with Moses and Joshua, and really it's the same with Jesus, with the three and the twelve. He goes up the mountain and prays, and he comes down and it says he chose people he wanted to be with him. God spoke to these men, and then they made approaches to other individuals. You find Paul approaching Timothy. Paul took the initiative, and he seems to pass on the same uh, principle to Timothy. There's a verse that will go up to Timothy 2, 1 to 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. So he's really saying it's your responsibility, Tim, to find other people, Timothy, to find people who you can entrust with what I've entrusted to you. So I believe, and this is a bit of a personal angle on a lot of this, because I believe this, over years I've thought about this a lot, I believe what will often happen is that God will lay someone on your heart, probably someone you come across in a natural way. A good starting point is actually your community group, it really is. Or it might be in a serving group in the church. Or some other, someone you meet 
uh, in one of the contexts, maybe even of a Sunday morning, and you feel a little bit prompted to build a relationship with them, to befriend them. Now, this will be same sex, I hasten to say, normally, unless you're young and single and looking for a partner, which you may be allowed to follow up that friendship. But what I'm really saying is it will start as just, is God in this? Is God knitting our hearts a little bit? Uh, it might be a couple take uh, on this together. You see Priscilla and Aquila, who felt clearly prompted to bring Apollos into their house and to teach him and help him, bring him through, and then he went well beyond them, which is often the way. But, but there's a sense that God has to initiate. We do not have to respond to someone saying to any of us, please disciple me. We need to have a faith that God has called us to do this, that there's a God element to it. Equally, if someone came to you and said, I want to disciple you, you don't have to follow that. You have to know, do I feel God's in this? Do I feel it's something that God's saying? Now, over the years, uh, mostly probably in this case, on this subject, in another church, the church I was serving for most of my life before I came here eight years ago in Hastings, I've tried to organise one-to-one discipleship. I remember when we started the cell thing, we tried to get everybody discipling one other person across a church of nearly this size or this size actually um, tried to get everybody, it was sponsor was one of the words we were into, don't know if you ever heard that word everybody sponsored somebody else, you know, every, basically it was discipleship, we tried to organise it across the church, it really didn't work I mean, it was okay for a few friendships. What I noticed was one or two really took off. But the majority did not, you couldn't organise people into real discipleship. It doesn't, didn't seem to work. It has to have a God-based element, a God sense to it, a sense then of faith and expectation. We can obviously have good relationships and friendships, but if we're really going to speak into each other's lives and help each other, there has to be a mutual agreeing that this is something that's going to be fruitful. Discipleship is, at its best, when it's doing, been done correctly, is a joy and a privilege. If it's over-organised, if it's driven by the need to be needed, I want someone to need me. If it's driven by demands for your own attention, I want someone to give me a lot of attention. Any of those things, it will become burdensome and exhausting. And it doesn't need to be. So there needs to be a sense that God initiates this relationship where we're going to help each other. And perhaps a more mature Christian is going to help a a younger one. Or I'm going to train someone into something I am better at doing. Maybe even literally, practically, like something like a PA or something. That can be an element of discipleship. It's more than just twiddling the knobs. There's a character element. There's a sensitivity to the spirit that needs to be learned as well. So let's move on quickly. God-centred discipleship. Elijah was not possessive with Elisha. Quite early on, you can see that right at the beginning. In 1 Kings 19.20, he almost leaves it very free. There it is. Elisha then left his ox and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I will come back with, come with you. Go back, said Elijah. What have I done to you? He leaves it, he leaves it very open. He's basically saying, it's your call. There's a freedom for you to decide whether you're following this or not. And even here, what we read this morning at the end, it's almost like Elijah tries to put Elisha off several times. So look, you can stay here. You don't have to come with me all the way. You can stay here. Uh, He certainly doesn't breed a dependence on him. That's no indication of that at all. But Elisha wouldn't be sidetracked. He came to love his master. He came to love his disciple, we might say, and wanted to be with him. 
So it was all internal motivation. It wasn't external compulsion. Now, discipleship shouldn't be external compulsion from the church or from anybody else. There needs to be an internal feeling, this is, this is where I want to be. And uh, Elijah clearly gave Elisha space for that. And no disciple should be over-dependent on his discipler, his human discipler. We're all disciples of Jesus, not of one person. And uh, when you're discipling someone, you're really helping them to grow in God and, and you're a fellow labourer with God. And that's what you need to keep clear in your mind about. Actually, there is a danger in churches, and over the years I've seen this, sadly, of sort of lone disciples who take on other people and pull them under their wing and they become almost impossible to separate. And it's not healthy. Uh, there ought to be other relationships, not just an exclusiveness. I must, you know, this, these two must be stuck together. They're the only place where they'll, they'll, you can, you know, they always seem together. That's the only way it'll work for them. That's not healthy. I think you can find people who seek a personal following. Paul warned about this. It's not in the uh, overhead thing, but Paul warned about this in, in Acts 20. He warned the Ephesian elders, listen to this, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Disciples of themselves, not disciples of Jesus. Key difference. And then Paul says, be on your guard. We should never want people to be dependent on us. We should never want them to only be our exclusive little friends or relations. And actually, as elders in the church, taking that very seriously, that warning of Paul, I would positively discourage exclusivity and independence in the issue of discipleship. And indeed, I even am, and it's maybe because I'm old-fashioned, slightly cautious about the hyper-confidentiality issues that seem so common today. I think in church, we ought to be free to be open, say certainly with the pastoral leadership, about any discipling relationship. If asked, or when asked, prepared to be accountable, prepared to share what we're doing and why we're doing it. There shouldn't be an exclusivity. It doesn't need to creep in. Now, in practice, I don't believe that everything has to have an official eldership stamp. I believe discipleship can happen informally. I hope it does happen in the community groups, as I keep saying, and in the serving groups and elsewhere. I'm very happy when I hear people, and I have friends in the church who tell me this, not necessarily leaders, I'm seeing this person or that person, and we sort of are developing, we have breakfast together, we look at the scriptures together. I'm always encouraged by that. I never feel threatened by it. I honestly can say that. I never feel jumpy about it. What I do want to make sure is it's open, and usually it is, that's why the person's told me, that you just can talk about it. It's not become exclusive or controlling, but it can be very fruitful and profitable. And I would love there to be a lot of that going on in a healthy sort of way. Not all of it will be along the normal lines of church, like community group, but some of it I hope will be. No problem with that, as long as there's an openness and an accountability. And let's move on to the third one, purposeful discipleship. God told Elijah that Elisha would succeed him as prophet. I think we can all have friendships, but there was friendship between Elijah and Elisha, but it was a bit more than that. There was discipleship going on. And Elisha, Elijah, I beg your pardon, had a commission from God to prepare Elisha for taking over as prophet. And that set the pattern, I presume, for what they did together. Now, one-to-one -one discipleship should equally have an objective, and ideal in ending view. 
I mean, it can be a number of different things. You, you may be being counselled by someone through, through a difficulty and a problem. It's a sort of discipleship. And it would be good to know that that's going to end. You know, we're not going to go on forever doing this. You may be being prepared for leadership or taking over the community group or maybe something in the worship band or something. There needs to be a sense of what are we doing with this? Where is it going? Is this a period while you study and learn a bit more about an aspect of the Bible from someone who's much more knowledgeable? But in the end, there'll be a releasing from the discipleship. You might still be friends, I hope, but there'll be a a sense of we've moved on from that. There's not a dependence been built in. I think Elijah's knowledge that he was discipling a prophet would have directed what he did and would have given a firm foundation and direction to their time when they were together. So we need to think like that. If we are discipling, if we are agreeing that this is going to be for a purpose a bit beyond just a a casual friendship, we need to know why we're doing it, what we're trying to achieve. Uh, Are we trying to build a confidence in God, a, a new freedom or an understanding of the Bible or be trained up to take over, as I said, a group or an area of ministry. Now, friendship can last a lifetime, but discipleship needs to have a goal, I think. And it needs to come to a place of release and completion. Finally, fourth one, I want to talk about relational discipleship. So this is mixing back a little bit of the friendship. God wanted Elisha to learn from personal involvement with Elijah, his anointed servant. Elijah does not just have a role of being like a a, a teacher to Elisha. That's pretty clear as you get a sense of what Scripture is saying. I don't think Elisha's discipleship centred around a notebook and uh, lectures on the Pentateuch or something. He needed to be with Elijah and pick up something of his spirit and something of how he lived and operated. In fact, later on, I think it's in 2 Kings 3.11, yeah, it's on, the, on one of the slides. This is how Elisha's described. Uh, Jehoshaphat asked, this, this is after Elijah's gone, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, what's that mean? Well, that's what a servant did, quite a basic task, when you didn't have taps, When you didn't have taps, someone would pour water on your hands so you can wash them. So basically, he helps Elijah with basic tasks. Now, I'm sure he did more than that, but that indicates he was a friend and a servant. He was close to Elijah, and he was learning from the man day by day. He was clearly happy to be described that way. In the passage we read, they talk about your master. He doesn't get angry or defensive. He allows them to define him that way. But it was more than a servant role. There was real heartfelt affection between them. Three times, Elijah says, you can leave me if you want to. Elisha wouldn't leave him. And then when the chariot comes, when the final moment of separation comes, he cries out, my father, my father. Now, actually, he wasn't his father, you know, natural father. But I believe he'd become so close to Elijah that he saw him going like losing his own dad. He's just sad. (laughs) He's just grieved at what's happening. And you find this sort of warmth in the relationships in the New Testament. You find Paul's relationship with Timothy, but not just Timothy. Titus, Epaphroditus, even the Ephesian elders. There's emotion there. There's weeping as they separate. 
As I say, I think discipleship is much more fluid than we sometimes make it. It means we have relationships that are quite intimate sometimes, quite real and deeper. And we express our feelings. We allow people to get close to us. We Brits must see this is part of being formed as a Christian, that there are some relationships we allow to get beyond the mask, to to talk about how we really feel, to, to share our emotions. That's important. That's part of being discipled. And it will be painful when the God-ordained move come, time comes. I've obviously seen that happen many times in my life now. When Don Smith moved to Eastbourne in 1987-88, I had been working with him. He'd been the lead elder. I'd known Don, and still, of course it's still true, I have known Don, since I was 18. And suddenly it, it felt very odd. And it was painful. And the dynamic of the relationship clearly changed. I took over leading the church, which he'd been leading. He went off to church plant. And uh, the same was true with Steve Brading, who I'd worked with for 11 years, uh, and, and others as we moved from Hastings to here. But Chris Kilby moving, now Dave moving. These are real, sometimes quite painful moments. It's difficult, because if you work at all realistically, biblically, you don't work like in a sort of, I don't know, normal environment. You, you share your lives, your faith, you, you, you see people battling things in God and you, you pray for them. You pray for them for a start, that knits your heart to them. And so there is often inevitably a cost emotionally, but that's how it should be. We need relationships that have got substance to them. And they aren't clingy, but they're real and they're emotional. And in de- they inevitably have a painful element because God will move us on. This was healthy in the end. Elisha's job had finished. Elijah's job, I beg your pardon, had finished. Elisha was taking over. This is what he'd been preparing him for for ten years. And of course it was right that the moment came for Elijah to go and enjoy the presence of God, for Elisha to take over and be even more successful, as it happens, twice as much just as he asked for in terms of most impact. He, and miracles, all sorts of things, were twice as many as you read the story. And so this was, this was the right moment. And it happened. And it, yet it was a painful moment. Warm affection is there. But it doesn't mean that there's not respect. I mustn't over-push this because of time, but this isn't a chummy informality, which we're really, really big on, I think, which I'm not unhappy with. I don't mind informality, but, but there is clearly a big respect here for Elijah, from Elisha. You don't get any sense of great, at last the old boy's gone, now I can get on with my ministry. You don't, you don't get any sense of, of belittling. There's the opposite. There's great respect for Elijah, great honouring of him. And when Elijah says, what can I do for you? He says, well, I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, that will, you, you, you just be, use our imagination for a moment. That sounds okay. But I don't think Elijah was a barrel of laughs all the time. He wasn't great. We know he's a depressive and he wanted to kill him, be killed in 1 Kings 19. I bet you every day was not perfect with Elijah. I bet you if you lived with Elijah for 10 years, you saw the downside of him. Yet there's no sense of criticism. There's a sense, I need your spirit. Because Elisha respected the man. He could see the anointing on him. And, and he, he said, I want what you've got. I want the spirit that's on you. I want to share your blessing. And yet, sort of another point, Elisha was not a clone of Elijah. He clearly had his own independent walk with God. He couldn't have been a prophet if he didn't. He had to have his own walk with God. Terry Virgo's got a good quote on this, on discipleship. I hope it'll go up. Thank you. The proof of good discipleship is not the creation of a carbon copy, 
but of an informed original. That is, if real discipleship's going on, you're looking for an informed original, you're not creating carbon copies. And it's something awkward if it's like that. You don't want that. Sometimes in the worst examples of discipleship, you get that. That's not healthy. That is healthy, what Terry's saying there. He wants you to learn, but to have your own walk with God, your own ministry, your own gift mix. Terry goes on to say this. It's another quote from the same uh, section of the book. Discipleship is not only about passing on values and vision. People must learn how to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a very helpful comment as well, which I want to bring into my last point, really. What happens is not just that Elisha learns information from Elijah, he has something imparted that's indefinable. The spirit, the anointing comes on it. And actually, in our relationships and discipleship, we need to not just be passing on even values and vision, but but a hunger for God, a desire for his spirit, something of the experience of the spirit. I'm sure Elijah, Elisha learned many things from Elijah. And uh, I'm sure there were lots of practical aspects to being the prophet to the nation that he, he learned. But there was no substitute for being endowed with the power of God, an endowment from on high, an empowering. No substitute for us too. We can train, we can disciple, we can listen on Sunday mornings, we can have one-to-one discipleship, we can go through the freedom in Christ, we can do this, we can do that, and it is all good. But we also need power from on high. And we need to be inspired about it. And it's something very stirring about this little scenario that happens near the end here. Um, when uh, it's, it's two kings, nine and ten. I think that's going to go up for me. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. What a fascinating little thing. I just want to take two minutes to look at it. Elijah was promised by Elijah, it can be yours, but I can't guarantee it. It's not, if you like, mine to give. You know, Elijah said, I want to be like you. I want to have a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah has to say, I think you can have, you can have that, but it won't be down to me. In a way, he says, it's up to you to press in and get it. There's something you've got to press through. I can't make it easy for you. You've got to press in if you're going to have this anointing, this gifting. Now, I've got three verses here. We haven't probably time to look at them, but just quickly scan them on the screen. Jesus said some interesting things about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you, Luke 24:49, what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then finally, part of the Pentecost sermon, Peter says, Repent, be baptised every one of you. This is to all the people listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, I've only put those three up to remind us that there is an offer of empowerment from on high for all Christians. There's an anointing for all of us. The Holy Spirit is not selected. It doesn't just come on leaders. That was a little more true in the Old Testament. That's not true now. There's a powering, an empowering for all of us. If you put faith in Jesus, you can know that anointing. 
Now that doesn't negate discipleship. We've been talking about it for the last half hour. The, the discipleship goes on. But there's something where you can't get it all from other people. You can't get it just from notebooks or reading. You need the anointing from on high. And to some extent, others can only take you so far. Elijah could only take Elijah so far. He said, it's up to you whether that really happens. I believe it can happen. But you've got to press through. It's personal. It's available. But, it, but it's your call. Is in effect what Elijah says. And I think as we come to the end, this is where I want to end, I want to stir you on a couple of things this morning. It's a little bit conversational, a little bit restricted on what I might have said, but I hope you've got something out of it. What I want you to do is to be encouraged to disciple each other, to look for relationships that go a bit further than just normal friendship, but to think of them as purposeful, all the things I said, to look for God's initiative, not to uh, be controlling or or over-dependent, all that sort of stuff. But I also want to stir you that there is an element that is um, what's that, irreducible element where it's our call as individuals, do we press on to the best God's had for us? I think I've sometimes watched people struggle with big decisions about um, the level I'm thinking at, at the moment is, you know, taking on a major leadership role in the church, maybe going full time or moving on to another church and things. And in my spirit, I know this is a moment when if they go for it, God will do something in their lives. And I'm not meaning this in any sense patronising. I hope it doesn't come over that way. I feel that with a number. I felt it with Chris when he moved. I feel it with Dave as he moves. And I've known that this is a a tough call, really. But I I believe God's got something bigger. Um, And it will prove that in the end. Time will prove that. But, But you know you can't make other people do stuff. You can't say, you've got to do this. Um, you just know that, that, that if they do, God will meet it. But, but it's their call. And, and, and life as a Christian is like that for many of us. And I, I'm really passing on, as I say, a sort of principle. I, you might say, I, I don't know how this quite works. Well, you will as you get to it. <laughs> you, you, you will. You'll, you'll know. I, I have got, you know, I've got to be the one that makes sure I press on in God. Paul said this, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I want us all to be like that. Press on. We're going to finish with that. Press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of you.